Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Well, are you ready for the Word of God? Open your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Are you there? Read together, one, two, go. Oh, you're reading like draw soup. Read together, one, two, go. Hallelujah. So there are key words I want to pick from this. First, the fact that Paul says, I beseech you. It's very noteworthy that he says so. And then we talk about the mercies of God. What does it mean to beseech by the mercies of God? Then we talk about reasonable service. We talk about living sacrifice. We talk about holy and acceptable and what it all means. So essentially, I'm starting with a commentary on this verse. Then we treat two or three other verses, and then we call it a day. Let's pray again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. As we listen, we listen from our spirits. Ah, and we thank you because you are working in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. We are doers of your word. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, say loud, amen. amen. Now, there are different types of sermons. And every sermon requires a different approach, depending on your audience, depending on um, the topic, depending on many things. Paul didn't always preach the same way. When, for instance, you're preaching to a congregation like Athens, fundamentally, unlike the Jews, they don't really believe the scriptures. So he went from a common sense approach, helping thinkers believe and believers think. That's that balance. All right, in teaching ministries, you might have heard that phrase before. You know, so you would discover that in Athens, unlike Paul, he didn't use a single text. He went from a logical, common sense standpoint to say, I mean, if God is the creator of the world, why do you think you have to offer him sacrifices in a calabash, saying that he sustains all people? You understand that? So he walked them through that from a logical standpoint to lead them to the testimony of the scriptures. And so um, I found in itinerant ministry that you can't preach the same way every time. And Paul, or Jesus for instance, was fundamentally a passionate preacher. John 7, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, he stood and cried with a loud voice. If any man thirsts, and then come to me and drink. So Jesus was a typical Pentecostal preacher. He wasn't melancholy in any way, respectfully, you know, with due respect to everyone who preaches that way. But he stood and cried. So when you wonder sometimes why we raise our voice, Jesus preached the same way. In Matthew chapter 7, the Bible says he preached like someone with authority and not like the scribes. So they noticed that about him, his manner of speech. But everyone who grew up in an African home knows that there are some times that the tone has to change. So um, if like myself, you have a strict dad who is always on your neck, there are some times he just sits you down. And let me see if I can mimic the tone. You see, what we are saying is for your own good. 
you know, and they say that. And why do they do that? Because many times the warmth is important, not just the instruction. They want you to know that they love you. And what they're saying is very important. And if you miss the instruction they are giving you, the consequences will be very grave. And so sometimes when what you're trying to achieve spiritually, what you're trying to communicate is so important, you take up this tone. And so it's not worthy, like I said, that Paul will say, I beseech you, I appeal to you. More like I'm begging you. This is how serious this sermon is. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. What you're about to hear is important. And so Paul says, he's making an appeal. It's for your own good, but he loves you. God loves you. He's making an appeal. You know what's interesting? In 2 Corinthians, if you remember verse 20 that we read last week, Paul says, God doth beseech you by us. Remember that text? So not only is Paul beseeching you, he said God is beseeching you too. Like this is so important. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. So he's beseeching you also. You know what the Bible says in Philemon? Philemon chapter 1 verse 8. Paul is explaining what I'm saying. You know, in, in, in this context he's talking to... Uh, it's a long story, the Onesimus situation, talking to Philemon about Onesimus. He says, therefore, Philemon chapter 1 verse 8, though I might be bold in Christ to command you, or to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. So sometimes, because of the sensitivity, the urgency, the importance of the matter at hand, you change your tone. And that's the kind of meeting we're having this morning. So important, so solemn. I, I, I appeal to you. Please pay attention. Hallelujah. And now you're wondering, what's so serious? What's Paul talking about? Why is he appealing like this? This must be important. And it is. And he says, I, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Now, this is noteworthy. He had spent the previous 11 chapters explaining the grace and the mercy of God. And now he says, I beseech you in view of the mercy of God, meaning all that I said prior was to lead to this. This is the epicenter. This is the main point of all I've been saying. Just like I taught you last week on the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge should never be for knowledge's sake. We are not knowers of the word. We are doers of the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, all that I thought prior is for this. So there is an application to grace. There is an application to mercy. Mercy has responsibilities. So like I said, you cannot just receive John 3.16 without receiving 1 John 3.16. You might embrace John 3.16 for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you're excited. Oh, he loves me. I cannot say why. He loves me. I cannot say why. And that's touching and wonderful. But First John 3.16, same author, interestingly, same chapter, same verse, different book. He says, you also should be willing to lay your life down for the brethren. So you don't just receive 
you know, the generous mercy of God, you embrace the responsibility. Another one, John 3.16, for God's all over the world, powerful. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto he who died for them and, and rose again. So, listen. Oh my goodness. You can be in church so long that you miss the point. You've been in church so long. You have a religious disposition to the truth of the gospel. All we are saying is true. Jesus is a real person. He walked the face of this earth. 100% human being. And he died for you. Listen. If we cannot look at your disposition, your worldview, and tell from how you live that someone died for you, something is wrong. You mean to tell me that you believe someone died for you? Not just died, a terrible, horrible death. They stripped him naked, walked him to the Oshodi of that day. Golgotha was, was a public place, a very low class place. And up on a hill where everyone could see him, he was nailed there on your account. Listen, you cannot truly believe that and your life will not change. You might have been playing church all your life. You believe it in your head. But when you think about it and embrace it, your life must change. So he says, in view of the mercies of God, there is a way to live. You can't embrace the mercy of God and live the same way. Mercy is not for mercy's sake. There is a way to live. And what does he say? He says, present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, every time I think of reasonable service, I remember one instance where my wife and I went to a restaurant. I won't mention the name. And we ordered, I mean, right there behind um, the, the, the people serving, there was a signage displaying all their offerings and the price. So we said we wanted, we mentioned one of, the, one of their food offerings. And then when the bill came, it was higher than what was on the signage. So I said, why is it more expensive? And they said, we upgraded it for you. Do you remember? And I said, excuse me, who sent you? What do you mean upgrade? If you are upgrading, like, okay, am I supposed to be happy? Yay, I'm going to spend 2K more. Who does that? If you're upgrading it and you expect me to be happy about it, make sure it's free. You see, many of us don't understand that we can't serve people on our terms. You can't look at what I asked for and say, ah, this one will not satisfy him. Let me add more. You can't do that. You don't know my appetite. You don't know. You see, I'm, I'm a business enthusiast. Many, some of you don't know that. And I like to catch up on stuff as much as possible. So I was reading about Pepsi Cola and um, how they, they, their, their taste was evolving. 
And they were trying to find the right Pepsi for everyone. And then the person who was telling the story said, I can't remember who, whether the MD or someone, came forward after doing his research. And he said, the right question is not what is the right Pepsi. The right question is what are the right Pepsis? Because they discovered that no matter how great a product is, it will never meet the appetite of everybody. There is no dish on the earth that every single human being likes. None. There is no drink on the earth that everybody will like except water. Are you getting what I'm saying? So if you want to serve everybody, you have to have different options and offerings that meet different taste Do you understand what I'm saying? Because whether you like it or not, people have different preferences. Growing up as a child, I had a very weird taste preference. Children liked Fanta Coke. I liked anything that could slap. I'm not even joking. So at nine, my favorite drink was Schweppes. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Was Schweppes, so, you know, and then when Pharaohs came out, Mountain Dew, all those in between. You get what I'm saying? So you, you see, it's the same thing with relationships. People have different love languages. You can't love your spouse the way you like to be loved. And that's why some people don't understand. You buy the whole world for her. You know, you give him gifts. You know, and she, she I mean, littered around her are all your gifts. iPhone 12, um, um, shoes, bags. And at the end of the day, there's a sigh from her. Like, and she looks you in the eye and says, do you love me? <laughs> I'm not saying that happened to me. <laughs> Just for instance, imagine, you know? But, <laughs> but the fact is this, amen? <laughs> the fact is this, <laughs> the fact is this, some people, some other things matter more to them. Just spend time with them. Don't be busy and by the world and think that's okay. You have to make out time, all right? This quality time, words of affirmation. You've, you've heard about all those things, right? I said all of that to say this. Stop looking at my wife and look at me, please. <laughs> I said all of that to say this. When it comes to serving people, people have different preferences. And some of you have tried to serve God the way you would like to be served. And so in your mind, you think, oh, I come to church as often as I can. I give regularly. That's okay. Who says that's okay? You don't get to determine that. So this text talks about reasonable service. Another translation translates, translates it thus. It says, highest form of worship. This is, so there is a standard. You don't serve God the way you like. Paul talked about the mark of the price of the high calling of God. There is a standard consciousness here. There is a way to serve God. There is a way to pray. There is a way to, don't say, oh, some churches pray like this, some churches pray like this. So I choose based on my temperament. It's not a temperament issue. It's not about you. There is a way to pray. Please, are you with me? There's a way to pray. There's a reason why churches ought to do what they do. Paul calls it reasonable service. So what is this service? 
He said, present your bodies. Ah, oh my goodness. Can you picture that? You know how to present gifts to people. Maybe Christmas, you have a parcel and you're carrying it. You're carrying that gift to present. He said, do that with your life. Do that with yourself. Bind yourself like a parcel and offer yourself to the Lord. Are you listening to me? This is, he calls it reasonable service, meaning if you are not doing this, you are doing it wrong. Stop thinking that, oh, well, there are some Christians that are just extra. Just extra, zealous. You know, and then for me, just vibes. You are either serving God the right way or you are not. You're either doing it the right way or you're disguising. You're the disguise. It says to bind yourself, present yourself, submit yourself, surrender yourself. And then, as if that was not um, very, that, that's not a powerful picture enough, he then says, present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, just in case you missed all the English classes or you heard about oxymoron, you never really got it. This is a perfect example. Two words that mean opposite things used side by side. Like when I would say, I'm jokingly serious. Or when someone says, that's falsely true or something like that. This is a typical example. Living sacrifice, living sacrifice. Makes no sense logically. Do you know what sacrifice is? To sacrifice is to slaughter an animal in the worship of a deity. So how do you talk about a living sacrifice? He's talking about being dead and alive at the same time. Living sacrifice, this is your worldview. This is how to live your life. This is how, this is your disposition to life. It says living sacrifice. This is the way to live. This is reasonable service. He says the same thing in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. This looks like a Nollywood movie. You know, Nollywood movies where someone is shot. Oh, you shot me. Now I will die. Like, they're not supposed to be talking at this point. You know? But that's, that's the kind of image I have when Paul says, I am crucified. Bro, you're still writing. How are you able to talk when you're crucified with Christ? He's using metaphors to describe consecration. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So the idea is simple. If he died for me, now I must live as though I was living his life. I must live for the propagation of his message, the fame of his name, before I can just rise up and say, how do I advance my course in life? That's how the typical you know, human things. But now, first and foremost, it's the cause of Christ you're meant to advance. It's, it's a worldview. It's what wakes you up in the morning. What keeps you up at night? The name of Jesus. That's how to live. Don't look at someone like me and think, oh, he's sold out to God. 
you know, ah, we thank God for your life. No, we're in this together. It's not for preachers. This is, he's talking to brethren. All of us. Hallelujah. Live like you are dead to your old ambitions. He tells the church at Colossae, Colossians 3 from verse 1 and 2. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your affections. Your conviction must affect or influence your affections. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That's how to live. He says, present your bodies. A living sacrifice. And then next he says, holy and acceptable. Oh, glory to God. Say holy and acceptable. You know, in today's church, when we talk about holiness, we think about moral excellence. And that's correct in many con contexts. All right. As believers, our walk must be consistent with our talk. But you see, in hermeneutics, there is a principle called the principle of first mention, and this is how it works. It simply says that the first time a word was used in the Bible influences your perspective of that word predominantly throughout the Bible. And so when you look at the word holy, the first time it was used in the Bible was Exodus chapter 3 verse 5. The burning bush experience. Moses comes close to see that sight. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord calls him out from the bush. And it says, take off your shoes. Because the place you are standing is holy ground. Question, how can the ground be holy? What instructions, what moral guide did it obey? Maybe the ground spoke out and said, I've been celibate all my life. Oh, what? Oh, I don't drink alcohol. I'm not, I'm not a drunk. Or I've not stolen money. How can a ground be holy ground? It was holy for one simple reason. God chose to speak from it. So everything that God chooses to use is holy. So holiness doesn't only describe moral excellence, but consecration. Let me tell you this. In the entire book of Exodus, the word holy was used about at least 20 times. Thereabouts. And not once did it mean moral excellence. Not once. You will see, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Let me see if I can give you a few references. Come on, are you with me this morning? Yes, are you learning anything? Yes, All right. Thank you, Jesus. So he called their gathering holy. Exodus chapter 12, verse 16. He said, holy convocation. He called a particular day of the week holy. The Sabbath. Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. He called a place in the temple holy. The holy place. 
Exodus chapter 26 verse 33. He was referring to things. And all those things had one thing in common. They were consecrated, separated for a divine purpose. Praise the name of Jesus. Do you know what that means? Maybe since when you got born again, they told you the things you used to do, you do them no more, you know. And so you've kept your body, honored your body for the Lord. You've kept yourself from stealing, kept your tongue from lying. And you think that's all there is to spirituality. You are heaven bound. But there's more to holiness than that. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. So holiness is defined by your consecration, not just by your moral excellence. Are you with me? You are living a holy life when God has access to your heart, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. He must have access to all of you, your very life. That's what it means to live a holy life. All your ambitions, your hopes, your plans, your time, your money, his. When you bind yourself for his service. Paul called himself a bond servant. Bond servant. Bond servant. I go where my master goes. I do what my master says to do. That was his perspective of his ministry and of his devotional life. That is the type of service that is acceptable. Worship is not complete until it is entire. Worship is not a song. You can sing a nice song and not be worshiping. In fact, in the Bible, it was much later that worship was associated with music. Worship, first and foremost, for the first many places, was associated with sacrifice. That's worship. That's why that woman was saying, where is the right place to worship? You Jews say Jerusalem is the place to, to worship because they had their temple in Jerusalem. But our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She wasn't talking about songo. She's talking about sacrifice. Where do you go to worship? And Jesus' answer was not a place, was not a location. He says instead, the father seeketh people who will worship in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. <laughs> I wish I had more time to explain that. So when you are singing a song, if a divine x-ray goes through you, every part of you must align with the words of that song. There shouldn't be any door in your heart that God doesn't have access to. That's worship. You can be a great worshiper, who is not a singer? Are you getting what I'm saying? Worship. Songs give voice to your worship. It's an expression of worship. There are many ways. If God can tell you, get up, go here. That's worship. And you do it, that's worship. You worship with your life. Hallelujah. The woman was asking where. God was particular about who. It's about who you are. The Father seeketh such. Not where, not how, but who. 
Are you getting what I'm saying? Holy and acceptable. That's your reasonable service. If you want your devotional life to rise to another level, understand that it is not about choosing good over bad. It is about choosing best over good. Because holiness is not shunning evil. It is shunning mediocrity. Holiness is consecration. That's what I'm telling you. Sin is not just wanting bad things. It is wanting anything badly. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Sin is not just wanting, wanting bad things. It is wanting anything badly. Where you stand at a place where there are some demands that God cannot make over your life. Now that's wrong. Are you with me this morning? So, as it pertains to temptations, many of you have never really paid attention to the temptations of Jesus. There are some temptations that are outrightly wrong. You know it's wrong. But you see, in discernment, you have to understand that many times, the devil will come as an angel of light. He will show you good and bad and ask you to choose bad. Sometimes he's portraying himself to be the good guy who just wants the best for you. Did God say you can't eat of that tree? Ah, you need to taste it too. Mm. If you taste it, your eye will be open. You will know good and bad. You know, if I didn't read the context, I would think it was alcohol he was talking about. Just plain, no more. You people don't take jokes here. I say, if you take it, your eye will be open. You know, anyway. Oh, God. I prefer the mainland. Anyway, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking now. But you two laugh. <laughs> but look at it. He presented himself as someone. Who just wants, I mean, do better. He wants, he's giving you options. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, if God, if Jesus did not say to Peter, get it behind me, Satan, we would never have known it was Satan behind it. We would never have known. Because there's no more. He just, I mean, he wants the best for you. How would you say your life would end up that way? Stop saying that. There can even be a, Christ, a, a spiritual justification, a scriptural justification for it. You shall not die but live to declare the word of God. Don't talk like that. But that was Satan. Get it behind me, Satan. Satan, out of care, will preserve your life from the service of God. The rigors of the service of God. He said to save your life is to lose it. Are you getting what I'm saying? When Parents, out of care. And let me tell you something. It's difficult. As spiritual as I am, sometimes I catch myself in that. I, I allow my care get the best out of me 
when it comes to my children. When it comes to your kids, it is hard to be spiritual. You'll be, you'll be sensual, you won't know. You that has been talking about consecration, if your child comes and says, the Lord sent me, ah, <laughs> you will, at least you want to be sure. Is it that true? I'm saying that so that you will cut your parents some slack. Understand that when Peter was rebuking Jesus, it was out of care. Are you getting what I'm saying? And I'm describing, I'm exposing something for you. That out of care, out of nobility, you might be giving place to the devil and not know. So, like I said, outright temptations. The devil stands before Jesus, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a flash. He said, if you will bow to me now, I will give them to you. Now, that's a temptation. In no context is it proper to bow to Satan. Now, that's clear. And so you can say, ah, get the behind me, Satan. I'm not going to do that. Get the behind me. But when he says to you, if you are the son of God, turn stone to bread. Maybe you never thought about it. It's not a sin to turn stone to bread. Did he not turn water to wine? What's the difference? Maybe it never occurred to you. Why is it wrong? And I was just thinking about it. You know, fasting for Jesus would have been difficult. Because some of us, when we are fasting, we just avoid food. Anywhere they are cooking, you avoid. Anywhere they, you know, like Tomewa almost blocked him during the last fast. He went to post, you know, a video of someone cutting Amala, you know, putting begging, all, all those videos. I said, well, it's time to delete this app, you know? So you just avoid it. But think about being Jesus, knowing that anything around you can be the favorite dish just like this. <laughs> you can just say bread, chicken, anywhere you are. That's another level of temptation. You get what I'm saying? But the, but the Spirit of God drives him to the wilderness. To prepare for ministry. Listen, if you're going to be useful for God, you will put aside things that are good, but not helpful at that stage of your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to say. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. So like I said, not all temptations are good and bad. Many of them are good and nearly good. Some of them are good and best. So it's not wrong to turn stone to bread, but listen, your ministry will require preparation. You cannot go by your appetite. You cannot live like that. So his response was, man shall not live by bread alone. Not that bread is bad, but I cannot live by it. These are the rules of devotion. Are you getting what I'm saying? Bread is not bad, but I cannot live by it. My stomach must not direct my life. I have a stomach. I'm not a stomach. It's a perspective to life. Having your appetite in check. That's how to serve. 
Man shall not live by bread. Can I tell you something? This will be one of the most important texts in this coming generation. It says, a time is coming, perilous times will abound. It says, men will be lovers of themselves. More than lovers of God. And now that text must resonate with your spirit. Shake the core of your being. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you are not to do away just with sinful things. You are to do away with things that distract you from purpose. You know, you see, all these things, many of you have practiced it for less important things. There are some friends that are very good. <laughs> but if you want to have good grades in school, you can't keep them as friends. Some of you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so you have to find a way to um, just roll with them when it's time for just vibes. And then as exams are approaching, <laughs> guy, we're going to see now. Another time, right? You can't read where they are. Some of you who are not serious in school are like, what's he saying? I, I don't, I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> Hallelujah. Turn the Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. These texts are simple to remember. Romans 12, Hebrews 12. Don't forget how we started. God is beseeching you. It's an appeal. Remember it. This is not the type of sermon you just write and that's it. You have to revisit this sermon note. You have to do this. Praise the name of the Lord. Hebrews 12.1 It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every what? Wait, and every what? Sin, which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. This is so important. Oh, glory to God. I told you, holiness is consecration, not just moral excellence. When we think about holiness, we think about setting aside besetting sins. But he said, lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. There are some things that are outrightly sinful. There are some others that are not sinful, but they are weights. They don't help you run. Are you with me? They don't help you run. Lay them aside also. You're running a race. There is how to run a race. There is how to dress for a race. You don't come in full ancient Roman soldier attire. Eh? And you have a scriptural backing for it. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. You want to run 100 meter race. <laughs> you want to run like that. Just carrying metals. And then when they're looking at you and you're like, bro, what are you doing? You know what some people will say? 
Is it wrong? Uh, no, it's not wrong. <laughs> you see, you have to grow up from thinking it's all about right or wrong. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's not just right or wrong. Does it help me run? Is it beneficial? Is it, you know, there was a teaching my wife did a long time ago. There are some questions young people ask. When you're dating, am, am I allowed to kiss? Am I allowed to smoosh? Am I allowed to do all those things? And her response was very simple and profound. She said, well, you are also allowed to run into the center of a road, a busy road, and stand there. You are free to do that. Nobody can stop. If you decide to do that, nobody can stop you. If you decide to jump from a high-rise building, nobody can stop you. Every right-thinking person knows it's not just about, am I allowed to do it? The real question is, is it beneficial? Does it make me a better person? Are you getting what I'm saying? And that's the same thing in your walk with God. Some things are not sinful, but they are distractions. Am I running? He says to run. Don't walk like that and say, it's allowed now. <laughs> We're talking about reasonable service. He says run. Lay aside weights and run. Not just sins, but weights. Run. You see, the technology behind shoes that sprinters use, they're always bringing out new technology to make it lighter. So that, I mean, I mean, it's very comfortable for the person running to just go without having to drag the shoe behind him. You should do the same thing in your walk with God. Travel light. Avoid distractions. Praise the name of the Lord. Avoid compromise. Avoid mediocrity. Don't be the one who is always rationalizing things. Take a stand for God. Let me tell you this. You have an eternal witness against you. If you spoke up during answers. Now God knows that your problem for not preaching is not shyness. He knows. It is not about shyness. It's about assessment of value. You have an eternal witness that you can, you can devote your time to a cause. That you can see that an economy is not moving. People are blocking the roads. People can't go where they want to go and it's worth it to you. It makes sense to you. It's an eternal... Now, when you stand before God, you have nothing... If you can sorrow, it's okay. For your country and rightly so. You must speak up for Jesus. You must. You must. Because what you've done is a testimony against you. Oh, I wish I was joking. <laughs> Lay aside every weight. And the sin that doth so easily beset you. I'll read one more text and then we move on. Please, are you learning anything? Because he said in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. 
you, you won't see any reason to have any real drive for the things of God. It has already been foretold. So the devil's strategy for this age is not just contradiction. It's not just heresy. It's not just error, but convenience. Let me tell you something. Study church history. The gospel cannot propagate in the hands of convenient people. People who are just living for convenience. It will not, it won't work. Because the gospel will, will be resisted. And so look at the testimony in Revelation. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. It says they love not their life unto death. If this message is not more important than your very life, it won't thrive in your hands. Convenience. The devil will come to you like he did Jesus. You want to go to the cross for what? So that you can be Lord of all. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. If you will just bow now, I'll give you. You will face temptations. In the social media age, one of the strategies the devil will use, I'm going to teach on it one day. It's a sermon on its own. I want to talk about Lucifer. First of all, it's a controversial topic because, I, anyway, so many things to say about it. But the Bible says his soul was lifted because of beauty. It will be a major deal in this age. Beauty. A major selling point on social media. You know what I'm saying. And even if you didn't want to live that way, people will lure you into it. When you see people, I'm speaking as a fool now, people who you are finer than, they're getting more likes and comments because three of their buttons are open. You go, reason I'm... Am I saying what I'm saying or I'm saying what I'm saying? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm saying. And you're like, if I could just do this, everything would change. And you're not just going to remove the three buttons. You first should remove the one. And people are like, first time, someone comments, wow. <laughs> It'll get to a point. You just give your tailor and say, take so cloth for me. Help <laughs> me so scared. Say, or put two ropes and <laughs> I'm telling you because perilous times are coming. Perilous times. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter three. Did I say Hebrews? Revelation chapter three from verse fourteen to sixteen. Revelation chapter 3 from verse 14 to 16. Thank you, Jesus. Are you there? It says, to the angel of the church, angel is a metaphor for pastor, means messenger. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans writes, this thing says the, a man, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of the world. Oh, beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. 
wow, like first and foremost, this does be a certain way. He knows your works, your motives, your intentions. Not just what you did, but what you could have done. Everybody judges by what you did, but you know what you could have done. He knows your works. Oh, this freaks me out. I can put up a good show in church, but he knows my works. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Now, first and foremost, this text has been abused a million times. Some people think that being hot means being zealous for the things of God and being cold means being carnal. And that God so much hates indifference that he's saying, I would rather even have you be carnal. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> That's not what it means at all. This is one of the many places where you must understand the historical context to get the message. All right, so Laod Laodicea was in between two, ci two cities, Hierapolis and Classe or something like that. And Hierapolis had water that was very hot and had mineral contents just because of the climate of that place. And it had many medicinal values or advantages. And Classe had very cold water. Very cold water, I'm guessing one must have been high, you know, because that has to do with water temperature. But I'm not, I'm not I passed geography very well, but I don't really know to that point. Anyway, back to the point. So, Kaza had cold water, and Laodicea was in between. So they had this irrigation system where they would take water through pipes from the two cities, but unfortunately it didn't work. By the time it got to them, it got, I mean, it very funny taste in the mouth. It was not cold, it was not hot. And so when you drink it, you will literally many times just spit it out. It was not useful. And so that's what he was trying to say. So he's not saying, um, you're either be very zealous or I will even prefer it. If you are totally sinful, let us know. That's not what he's saying. The major point here is impact. And this is what I'm saying. He's saying, don't look like your environment. There is either hot water or cold water or the water is room temperature. And the Bible says, listen, if you have encountered God, you must be different from your environment. There must be an impact because of your presence. When you take very cold water, your teeth will react. When you take very hot water, your tongue will react. He's saying, let us see your impact. If you've encountered God, if his spirit resides in you, walking in you, talking through you, if indeed in him you live, you move and have your being, it will show. He said a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So if they look at you and they can't tell you apart from your environment, something is wrong. The church is making a great mistake trying to blend in so much, not knowing that our advantage is our difference. He says, we are the light of the world. Are you getting what I'm saying? Our advantage is our difference. Let them be able to tell us apart. Tell us from the crowd that even if you are Peter and you're trying to betray Jesus, they will say your speech betrays you. Ah, you don't talk like us. No. 
You don't talk like us. We see you trying, but you're not one of us. Hallelujah. Let the message carry you. Let it change you. Let it change the core of your being. Stop being indifferent. Stop being in the middle. Take your prayer life seriously. Let me tell you something. You will always take seriously what you value seriously. Forget all this talk. I wish I could pray more. I'm not praying more. Have you seen people when their life depends on it become prayer warriors? They will shock you. They will shock you. There was one of our brothers who that time, some people used to call black sheep of the family that time. He has changed and I hope he doesn't listen to this sermon. Let me tell you how bad he was. We lost one of our brothers. He died. I'm saying this for the first time. Many of you don't know. Stepbrother though. And when he died, an uncle came to the house and he was crying. Why, Lord, why? Why did Uwana die? Why Uwana? Why not? <laughs> you know, it was weird. You know, where everybody's crying. You know, someone says something. You want... <laughs> like, guy, you're the man. So like... <laughs> Why would you say that? You know, but this guy was tormenting us so much that <laughs> the uncle said that, that it was funny. Now, this guy, something happened that shook everybody in the house. Oh my God. He was blasting prayer, disturbing. When you're like, some, this same person is disturbing you, he carried anointing oil. <laughs> Started anointing everybody. You know, ah, normally you'll be like, what's this? But when, when you see the person God is using, you just say, God, I see what you're doing too. You say, shh, should we drink it? Should we drink it? What should we do? Like, let's not interrupt what God is doing. And I said all of that to say this. Man, if you really consider it a thing of value, it will show you can do something about your prayer life. When it all comes down to it, forget all the things you are saying are difficult. You know what the Bible says? It says, let him that stole steal no more. He said that because you can stop. He tells you to stop lying because you can stop. What you need to do is, I mean, see how it... Have you seen people, they might have been committing maybe a particular sin, then when it comes to light and is about to threaten something that they value, maybe you're about to lose your job or lose, maybe like professionals who had a scandal, they will just change. Have you seen people like that? Or have you not heard stories like that? Why are you, are you quiet again? You're doing like island people again. I need to stop this joke. Hallelujah. But I said all of that to say this. Don't be in between. Stop striking a balance. Hallelujah. You are either sold out or you are an imposter. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7,000 Blessings.